Good morning, church. So we have been in a series called Ugly, Ugly Christmas Sweaters. And as Pastor Chris wore eloquently the worst Christmas sweater last week, um, I had to as do as only a youth pastor can do. But to quote my uh, dear friend, Agent J, from the original Men in Black, the difference between you guys and me is I make this look good. So, so thank you, dear, for picking this out for me. I appreciate it. So we are technically, Pastor Chris said, I'm wrapping up the series, but I was like, I really want to wear something really fancy and ugly, too. So I get a chance to wear this today, and if I take it off, Halfway through is because I'm sweating, and I don't have my towel like John Gray to pat myself out. So, okay, so, ugly sweaters. What can we take off? Things that we need to take off. I like to start with a story, um, but first off, I know we have Cuff Kids in the room tonight, right, in the house, right, today? Cuff Kids, yeah? So, kids, I need your help. When you see me take a drink of water because my throat gets dry, that's when you... Get to, like, let forward this Holy Ghost Jesus praise as loud as you can, okay? There we go. Awesome. All right. So, starting with the story. So, I grew up um, in a family. I'm the youngest of seven. And my parents had a lot of great things that they taught us growing up. But my family set up a lot of, of, of rules in the house, and my siblings that went before me, they were like the Holy Spirit. They went before me and got all the beatings and the whoopings. <laughs> and so they were literally like the guard of my rear because I didn't get as many spankings because I saw what not to do. Um, but my parents set up rules and expectations for us in the house. And one of the things they, they did was, was for our grades. They expected us to have good grades. And I remember going to school, and I had a friend of mine, and he, his parents said, I will pay you for every A that you have. So I was like, wait, so you get paid for grades? He was like, yeah, but only for my A's. So we had five classes in elementary. So he got $25 per A. So in a six weeks, he could earn $125. In a school year, he could earn $750 if he had straight A's. So being the brilliant young mind that I was at the time, I said, I need to see if I can get this deal in my house. So I go to my mother. I explain the situation. She thought it was hilarious. She thought it was so funny that she said, you need to share this with your father when he comes home. I told dad, he thought it was funny. I said, why is everyone laughing at this stipulation? I think it's a great situation. It would be working out for me. But they said, my dad laughed, and he said, <laughs> as he wiped the tears from his eyes, he said, I'm not going to pay you for something that you are expected to do. I'm not going to give you extra for cleaning your room because your room is supposed to be clean. I'm not going to pay you extra for using manners when you talk to me because you're supposed to use manners when you talk to me. And so with that being in mind, I just went to my friend and said, hey, do you want to take my report card? We can split the money 50-50. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That is not right. I did not do that, but I thought it, but I didn't do it. And so with each set of parents, my parents and my friend's parents, we, they both had the right goal in mind, straight A's. But the expectation from one set of parents was, you're smart enough, you are strong enough, and you can do well in school. 
while the other expectation was, if you just bring us home an A, we'll pay you. So they tried, they both wanted to get to the same goal of straight A's, but the expectations were misguided and how they got there. And so today what we're going to talk about is misguided expectations, and you can take those off. So the title of my message, if those of you that like to take notes, um, is called, What You're Looking For. So turn to your neighbor to your right, say, what you're looking for. Now turn to your other neighbor that's more grammatically correct and say, what are you looking for? <laughs> and so my scripture today is going to come from Romans chapter 12. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1, if you want to turn there, I need some water for just a second as you turn there. Thank you. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and when you get there, let me know, say amen, say something, shout, do something, let me know when you're there. And if you didn't bring your Bible, they will be up on the screen. The scriptures will be there. So I'm just reading verses 1 through 4. Here we go. New King James Version says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 3, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he should, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Now, Bible reading 101, what I was taught by my father was that as you're reading scriptures, you break it down word by word. And if you come to a word that you cannot fully explain to a child, to someone, to an alien, and you're not sure, like you're not 100% confident in explaining that word, then you go look it up. Now, we have these fancy phones that you just hop on Google. At the time, that meant that we had to go to our laundry room and find the old dictionary in the cabinet, and then we had to look up a word. Because when we said, hey, what does this mean? Their response was, look it up. So I had to look up beseech, because I had never heard beseech before in my life. It says in the dictionary to ask urgently or fervently to do something. Ask urgently or fervently to do something. And then reasonable means fair or sensible. Sacrifice, a living sacrifice. So the sacrifice says definition is an act of giving up something value for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. More important or worthy. And so when you break down that first scripture, what Paul is saying is that I urgently, I urgently tell you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, giving up something temporary for something more eternal. I am so, I, he's so passionately urging you to do this. He wants you to, to do this. So, there, so there's, a, there's, a, um, there's an emergency, there's a, a passion in his voice that I want you to do this, to give this up. And when I read this, and again, I was talking with my father, and he was teaching me, he said, reasonable, the least that you can do. Why is that the least that we can do for Jesus? Well, he paid it all, so all to him I owe. He paid it all. 
So as we're celebrating the birth of Jesus and, and this time and this season, I celebrate his birth. Yes, I celebrate that, and I'm so thankful for the birth. I'm also so thankful for his life that he lived. I'm also so thankful for, for his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I can't just celebrate just the birth. I have to celebrate the whole thing of who Jesus is because it made such a difference in my life. And so when it says that we give ourselves a living sacrifice, you realize that Paul is not asking you to die because Jesus already did that. He did the death. He, he's not asking for a physical death, but he's saying, I want you to live and on the inside, things have got to die so that other things could live through you. Does that make sense? So some of us are sitting in this room right now that there are things in our lives that need to die so that the things of God can live through us. I'll give you an example. Who in here, raise your hand if you like being wrong. No one raised their hands. See, Pastor, you just have to flip the question because they're not going to raise their hands. So no one likes being wrong. But guess what? The idea of being wrong can't be so, so this thing that holds us up to where our moral character, our Christian values, that those go aside because we don't want to admit that we're wrong. Those can't be devalued just because I don't want to be wrong. That's called pride. So there's a pride inside of you. That's what that has to die so that something from God can live inside of you. Some of you have dreams and visions that have been put off to the side because there are things that the Lord just says, hey, if you'll just hand that over to me right now, if you just hand that unforgiveness over right now, if you just let go of what your parents said to you, let go of what that friend did to you, let go of what your husband, what your spouse said to you, just let it go because he wants something to live through you. God wants things to live through you. So we're not having to do a physical death as much as we are having to allow things to die on the inside of us so that things can be living through us. And again, I'm still talking about expectations. So here's the expectation of what our walk, our faith is set up. It's so that things can live through us. Amen. And it's a temporary sacrifice. See, we don't like that word sacrifice because it paints a negative picture for us right? You're sacrificed. You're like, oh, hold on, Christian man. Before you ask me to give up something, were you trying to ask me to sacrifice? And I'll never forget, I had a coworker who had such a, a strong, strong addiction to smoking cigarettes. He would go through two or three packs a day. Just easy. That's just one of the things. He said he tried everything, every patch, every pill, everything that in the book, to stop smoking. He said what changed his mind was he did something at his house and he walked away and he saw his son do the exact same thing in the same motion. And he said it was like a light switch came on and he said, I don't want to do this anymore. Because if my son is following me doing this, I don't want him to follow me smoking a cigarette. And he said, yes, it was tough. Yes, it was hard. I quit cold turkey. But that temporary sacrifice was worthy of a greater joy so that his son did not have to go through the things he went through health-wise. Sacrifice, guys. And guess what? A sacrifice, let me give you a hint, it's probably not going to be something that you want to give up. Because then it's not a sacrifice if it's just easy to give up, right? <laughs> if I can just like, hey, yeah, you can take this jacket. I really don't need this. It's not really a sacrifice. 
But if it's your favorite chair or if it's your spot in the sanctuary, I always sit on this side. This is my seat. Look, I'm preaching the choir because that's my chair right there. And I walked in one time and there was a youth there. And I was like, okay, you're my youth, so I guess I have to let you sit there. <laughs> then they went down for worship. I was like, I have my seat. <sighs> um, so I'm, so I, know what it, I know that that's not easy for us to do. But he is saying, Paul is saying in there that I urge you. I fervently, I can't tell you how much I want you to realize that your body's a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. So when, so when it comes to our relationship with God, we have this expectation that everything is going to be easy. Sometimes that's what we're sold in churches. That you give your life to Christ, everything's going to be easy. Everything's going to be, you know, rainbows and skittles and lilies in the field and all that good stuff. But my decision to follow God had nothing to do with how easy my life is, but it had everything to do with how good my God is. Can that be our testimony that it doesn't matter what it looks like, as my beautiful wife was saying during the transition, it doesn't matter how hard it gets, but God is still good. Amen? He is still good. Drink of water. Let's celebrate that, okay? So how does this tie into the Christmas story? So if you'll turn my next group of scriptures to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We're still talking about misguided expectations. Make sure my forehead isn't glistening up on the screen because that is hot. So Matthew chapter 1, let me know when you get there. Wait for me, sorry. I wanted you to get there first. Okay, are we ready Verse, chapter 1, verse 18, I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. I have read this hundreds of times, and I didn't realize that Joseph was getting ready to end this. He was getting ready to give up. He was like, this is over. So let's keep reading. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And they did not know her till she had brought forth their first, firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So here's what misguided expectations will do. My first point, misguided expectations can make us feel or deal with unworthiness is my first point. For you guys know this story. And so when Mary was told that she was going to be the one to bring forth the Savior, her first response was, how can this be? So immediately she thought, do I have what it takes? Am I worthy enough to be the mom of the Savior? And you got to think about this, that they knew that this is what the prophets had foretold. So can you imagine that 
there were probably people that, women that were before that probably said, oh, no, I've got the Savior. I'm the one that was born in a virgin. There were probably people that lied because they wanted to be special. There were probably families that said, okay, we got, we got this plan because we want to be worshiped and adored. And so we're going to say that you are bringing forth the Savior. So there's all these different myths that probably happened before, and she is the one. She is chosen. And her first response is, can I? Am I? And so what happens with our expectations is that whenever God plants a dream in our heart or a vision for our lives, sometimes it's so big that it scares us. We're like, wait a minute, can I do that? I can't teach children's church. I, they don't, no kids want to hear what I have to say. I can't serve in, in the church because I'm not good enough. I've, I've made so many mistakes. But the expectation is not for you to be perfect. It's for you to be willing because at the end of it, Mary said, guess what? According to what you say, be it to me. I will do it. You, you chose me. Okay, God, I'm going. I got this. I, I'm trusting you. And so the expectation had changed where she said, yes, I will do this. My second point, doubting God's faithfulness. And this is from Joseph's perspective. Again, he was getting ready to end this. This is over because she said it was the Holy Spirit that's in this baby. But I know, I know that it probably was Bob down the street. Because I know I was looking at Bob and Bob was giving me weird looks. And I saw the way he was looking at Mary like this is over. And so he has to trust that the Holy Spirit told him and says, yes, it is, it, is not, it is not a prank. This is not, you're not on punk. This is for real. The baby is coming, and it is the Savior, and it is by the Holy Spirit. And so now he's put in a predicament where, do I believe what this angel is telling me, or do I begin to question or doubt God's faithfulness? And guess what? We know the story. He trusted the Lord. So again, the expectation of what everyone thought of how Jesus was going to come, that it was going to be this huge celebration, it was going to be all of this, that he was going to come from a kingdom, and everyone had this idea, but instead, Mary and Joseph, Mary and Joseph, common folk, were the ones that brought Jesus into this world, and they were designated as his parents. And so the expectation was, it's going to look this certain way, But God said, no, I'm going to use normal, everyday people who trust me and who are obedient. That's all he wants, obedience. My third point, misguided expectations, doubting God's power. And later, when Jesus came back to do ministry, he said he could not do any miracles in his own hometown. He said he did a few here and there, but they doubted. God's power to work in the common every day because they knew him. They're like, that's, that's, Jesus, that's Marmar and Jojo's son. That's not, that's not the, the Messiah. That's not the Savior. It can't be. But how many times do our expectations on God to look a certain way, to come a certain way, that we can miss out on what he's doing? We can miss out on how he's just moving right in our lives 
how faithful he is. Some of you guys have miracles upon miracles that you are sitting here today and you are a living miracle of what God has done. And people need to hear your story. People need to hear of God's faithfulness because you're like, I know where I was and where I should be, but I'm telling you that today that I stand healed, that today I stand set free because of my Jesus and what he did for me. Can we shout for that? I'm going to take some water so I can shout for that. Amen. And so, so our expectations, guys, have got to be on God and his faithfulness and his goodness. So what I did before service is I asked a couple of our Cuff kids to help me with some puzzles. So, dear, if you could grab me that um, picture frame there. Give it up for my beautiful wife. Thank you. Thank you, sweetie. And so what I did is I asked Isaac, Abigail, and Addie. I just handed them four puzzles, and I said, I need you to put these puzzles together. I didn't, tell, I didn't give them a picture of what it looked like. I didn't tell them that, hey, you got this, you got this, you got this. I just said, they're the pieces. You got all the pieces you need. Put the puzzles together. So there were four mini, picks, mini puzzles that I had, and I want you guys to be able to see this when we hold it the right way. So I've turned some of them a different way. But let me ask you this. Are any of these puzzles missing anything? Are any of these puzzles incomplete? All the pieces are there, right? Any of these puzzles like a messed up picture? Right? So some of you guys out here have been told that you're going to do this or God wants you to do that. They didn't, I didn't give them a picture of what to look for. I just told them they had all the pieces that they needed. Some of you are sitting out here, you have every piece that you need to do the puzzle, to make the picture complete of what God wants to do in your life. And guess what? Even though the puzzle, this one, is, these two are turned the wrong way, they have all the pieces. They're still whole. So this may not be the picture that the kids thought they were putting together, but it's still a complete picture. This may not be the pictures that what they thought it was going to look like, but it's still complete. It's still whole. It may not be what you thought it was going to be. Your life may not be going the way you thought it was going to go, but I want you to know that God gave you every puzzle piece, nothing missing, nothing lacking to complete the job, the dream, the desire that you have in your heart. I'm sorry I keep, I keep blinding everybody with this light. I was like, oh. So, but you have everything inside of you. I just handed them the puzzles. They, they trusted that I gave them all the pieces. You have to trust that the creator has given you every puzzle piece that you need to do what you were created to do. And you can go like Jesus' hometown and, and see a little bit of him moving in your life. Or you can be like Mary and Joseph and be the ones that bring in salvation to people because you say, it may not be what I thought it was going to look like. That Joseph said, I didn't think that my first kid would actually be from the Holy Spirit. I thought this process was going to go differently. 
how the way I've seen it go in other, went in other people's lives, I thought it was going to go a certain way. But it didn't. But he still trusted God. And I can tell you that even in our lives, even in me and Olivia's lives, that there are some things that may not be going the way that we want them to go, but we know that God has called us, that he has set us for this time, and that it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside because my God is too good to leave us. He is too good. And he's not going to leave you, church. If this is your first time here, thank you for being here. He, God has not left you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He has not given up on you. You are not too powerful to mess up God's plan for your life. You can be living wrong all your life. And God said, yep, I got a plan for them. Look at Paul. I got a plan for them. I got a plan. He has a plan for you. Kids, he has a plan for your life right now. He has a plan for all of your lives. Are you going to be obedient? Are you going to say yes to it is his question. That's all he's asking. Amen?